Hey friends, welcome to This Good Word. My name is Steve Leans, the host. And on today's episode, I have author and spiritual director, Liz Diddy. She is coming out with a book this August called God's Many Voices, Learning to Listen, Expectant to Hear. And during this conversation, she talks all about how it is that she believes God is present, how it is that we can make space to listen to God's voice, And one of the things she does that I love so much is she really expands the definition of what it means to hear from God. Because I think many of us, maybe for many of us, that's a really frustrating thing to try to figure out. How is it that God speaks? Does God speak? Why can't I hear God? In what ways does God really speak? And she has such a gentle, wise, and... Uh, really inspiring voice for how to understand God and how God is speaking. So enjoy this interview with Liz Diddy and then go pre-order her book called God's Many Voices, Learning to Listen, Expectant to Hear from Liz Diddy. Well, I'm here with Liz Diddy. Hi, Liz. I'm so excited to have you on. Yeah, it's so great to be here, Steve. I'm excited to chat with you. And we met, although we'd sort of known of each other, but we met at the festival for Faith and Writing, which I loved. That was my first time going to that event, and I just loved it. I felt like it was so life-giving to me. Was it was it that way for you? Absolutely. And there's so many just people who you've read their work and you know of them through blog world and Twitter world and book world and just getting to um, meet the people behind those things and um, and talk about new ideas and old ideas. I, I was super energized. Yeah, man, I loved it. All right. So Liz, so you, you wrote this beautiful book, God's Many Voices, Learning to Listen, Expectant to Hear. So, um, like when did you sort of know, I'm always interested in hearing this from authors, but when did you know you had to write a book? Oh, wow. So I, you know, I wrote my first book when I was probably seven or eight years old and (laughs) shortly, shortly before I, I won the like small town poetry contest and had my awful poem about spring (laughs) published in the in the little newspaper um but this book in particular um sort of a funny story back in 2017 um so not that long ago uh a bunch of people were talking right around that new year you know what's your word for the year what's your word for the year and i have a lot of friends who are just really intentional about thinking about what their word is going to be for that year and um, I, there's something truly beautiful about that, but there was also something in me that really rebelled against it, um, to where I was like, you know, I honestly don't think I could sum up the last year that I've had in one word. And I don't think that God has ever like really given me too much of like a clear view of what's ahead to where I can, you know, speak a word over the next year. Yeah. And, um, and so I just thought, you know what, 
I try to spiritually direct myself, um, which never goes well. That's why I have to see <laughs> a spiritual director who's not me. Um, but I was like, what is in me that is reacting to this? Mm-hmm. Um, and I, and so I was just like spending a time, like, what is, what is it about this word than choosing a word and naming things that's just rubbing something in me? And, um, and anyways, as I'm journaling and exploring and praying through this, this word, one word keeps coming to me. Listen, Hmm. listen, listen. And I'm like, um, you know, I, but I'm a director and, and so much of what I do is listening. And so I thought, you know, okay, that's a little strange in that I didn't actually want a word. And I, um, I wanted to know why I don't like words. Um, and, and yet this word just would not leave me alone. And so I started to pray about what it would look like for me to listen and who I could listen to. Uh, and the more that I did, the more that I was just drawn to this idea of um, it's not just me listening, it's us all listening. Um, and what would happen if in this crazy world of ours, we all started to listen to the words that God had for us and for each other. And, um, and then this like just fire lit up inside and I, I couldn't not write the book. Wow. I love that. I love even that process of, I, I actually, I mean, you, you brought it up about the, the word for the year. I've always sort of bristled at that as well. And I don't want to diminish anyone's joy in that, you know, so I never really talk about that. But, 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 but for me, it's like, ah, um, but I love how that led you through noticing your discomfort that led you to what was really inside. I, I, I love that process and how you described that. And it occurs to me that that's probably a lot of what you're trying to do when you're sitting with someone in direction. So could you, you know, maybe people who are listening, they don't know what spiritual direction really is, but could you just sort of explain your idea of what that is and how it is that you listen? Yeah, absolutely. You know, I don't think that there's one definition of spiritual direction. Uh, in fact, one of the, you know, as as I finished uh, my program through Sustainable Faith, as uh, who I um, studied spiritual direction through, one of our exercises at the end uh, of two years was to um, to to talk about what direction is. And it was, there's something actually beautiful in, in every person sort of naming it and giving, giving words and a picture to it themselves. And I've heard people say that, um, it's like setting a table and you set a table with two places and it's a place for the person who's coming, the, the directee who's coming into that space and a place for God. And you leave that chair empty. You set all of the plates, you know, you set the plates, you make it, you make space for that conversation to happen. Um, And then you serve that table, you serve that conversation. Um, I've heard someone else explain it as, um, you know, just assuming that God is everywhere in our world and that he has left um, fingerprints on everything that he has touched. And there are some things that he has moved noticeably for us to see. And there are some things that you have to look very carefully to um, to perceive him there. And uh, and it's it's our job as directors to help people to just slow down. Um, and to say, I wonder, I wonder if there's something here 
do you see that? Mm. I think I see something. Um, and you know, and, and to, to speak into some of the, the blind spots and the spots that we raise past for ourselves, I think, you know, in one of the biggest things that spiritual direction is, is what it is not, and it's not therapy and it's not advice giving so hard for me in the beginning. And sometimes (laughs) even now, um, to sit with someone in whatever they are sitting in with the Lord and trust that the Lord and his spirit are there and that my words and my advice, however much they might feel more real and more present in that moment, are not actually as powerful as who God is and what His Spirit has for them in that moment. Um, and so much, so much of it is just being patient to sit with that, um, and to either you know let the Lord make Himself known or, or for um, for the directee to sort of uh, just notice um, what's already around them. Yeah. And I, as I hear you talking to Liz and I've seen a director for a lot of years, maybe eight or nine years now. And I think one of the things that, that I notice is it's hard for me to even admit that I need help in slowing down or learning how to listen. And I think it's been sort of ingrained in many of us that, you know, you go to church for an hour a week and maybe you learn what you need to learn about, about, the spiritual life, and then you go practice it on your own, you know, and yeah, maybe you go serve or you volunteer somewhere, or maybe you join a small group and you learn to share your feelings. But when it comes to listening to God, like, I, I, I feel like it's a little uh, countercultural, but so obvious that you might need some help with that, right? Who? yeah, I mean, there's... <laughs> There's a lot there. Um, I think, is it Sky Jathani? Somebody had just done some really um, beautiful work with um, what it's like to be with God versus to do for God. Um, and and in some ways that is really countercultural. Um, and most of us, you know, we, we sort of mistake what the signs of maturity are in our faith. Um, and we we think it looks like ministry and leadership. Um, we think it looks like, you know, confidence. <laughs> yeah. Um, and then life happens. Uh, you know, and I don't, you know, I don't know how long most people can get until they get to a spot where suddenly what worked before just doesn't work anymore. And um, all of a sudden it's where, you know, God was not supposed to let this happen. If if God is here and God is powerful uh, and God is good, then there is no way that this is mm-hmm. happening in my life or in the life of someone who I love right now. Um, and all of a sudden, you know, this this theology gets real when it's when it's overlaid on onto the the actual events and crises and grief and thoughts and feelings of our everyday lives. Yeah. Uh, and and if God only exists in the preacher's words on Sunday or in the you know songs that we sing there, um, then he, he's it's not big enough. <laughs> yeah. uh, he's not big enough to actually be God. And yeah. um, and so you know I, I think a lot of us something triggers us to go onto this journey of um, 
why our faith isn't enough or why God doesn't seem to be enough. What we grew up with just isn't enough. Um, and usually, um, hopefully we discover, um, that we can get past all of that doubt and confusion and hopefully have friends who can, um, you know, allow us to engage with those questions um, so that we can come through the other side and realize um, this isn't actually a shortcoming of God. And this is a shortcoming of my expectations of God. Yeah. yeah. Um, you know, and and that um, and when when we start to actually, you know, we always say, you know, Christianity is not a religion. It's a relationship. It's just a relationship where I don't talk to him and he doesn't talk to me. You know, like what kind of relationship is that? Um, you know, if, if we're actually going to be in relationship with the living God, we have to understand who he is, who we are, um, and sort of expect that this ongoing conversation um, is is happening and is part of what it means to live life with him. Yeah, man, that's so well said. Um, you talk about in your book, uh, about the importance of interruptions about how you, you write God's good words and wisdom can come to us through interruptions if we are paying attention. And I want to say something about that and then ask a question. But I think, again, so many of us were taught that we should set aside some time in the morning to hear from God, where it's totally quiet and totally set aside for that. And then we're going to hear God and we'll take that voice if we hear God, which we usually don't, but we will take that voice throughout the day and it'll give us everything we need versus a different way of paying attention, which seems to me... Uh, to be about paying attention to interruptions. <laughs> you write. <laughs> Can I just read? I'm going to read this paragraph because it's so hilarious. Um, right yeah, after the thing about interruptions, you write, I almost pee my pants all the time. <laughs> oh, you went there. <laughs> yes, I did. <laughs> well, you wrote it. <laughs> it's my ridiculous rebellion against interruption. Since I was a little girl and all the way to being my adult self, I have hated the need to stop what I'm doing and go to the bathroom. Just one more time down the slide. Just one more email sent. When I'm on a roll, I cannot stand being interrupted even by my own body. And that, number one, is a hilarious paragraph. But number two, it's so poignant because we can all relate to that on some level. So say more about the importance of paying attention to interruptions as it relates to learning to listen to God. Yeah. Well, I want to just circle back real quick to what you said, um, you know, because I, they, as as far as like our, our morning quiet times and our time in, in the Word, you know, there's there's this weird line that I walk um, in the book and in my own life where I want to say, you know, there there, um, this is so much less about spiritual discipline and so much more about spiritual invitation mm. and so much less about the things that we do um, to hear from God and so much more about how lavishly he speaks to us. Uh, and, and yet there is this truth that I run into over and over again that discipline and habit and liturgy is actually an like it, it's an irreplaceable part of the process. Yeah. Um, and I'm, I'm 
more of a spontaneous person by nature. And so I actually really dislike the morning quiet time. And so there's part of me that's like, I don't have to have one because, you know, I see God in the flowers and I see him um, in my kids' faces and in so many ways during my day. But I have found, sadly, over and over again, that unless I am truly centered um, in God's presence in my morning, usually, um, and and in His words, like His actual words in Scripture, a lot of it, it's way too easy to just get swept up, um, and I don't notice all of the spontaneous things. Um, right, right, like, right. No, I get you that. Know, it, it, like, it, yeah, it like it, it's like putting your antenna up. Um, you sort of exactly. need that. Yep. And I totally agree. Yes. And so then, you know, those like the interruptions and all of that sort of stuff just become, you know, they become annoyances. They become um, frustrations. They make me angry um, instead of, you know, when I'm when I'm rooted there, I may or may not find find a word or, a, you know, a verse or something that is really exciting for me that, that day. Um, but unless I, I spend that time and, you know, make myself intentionally centered and, and rooted and the Lord and his words, I don't see him in all of the other many, many little things. And so, um, I just, I want to make sure I'm clear that I don't want to diminish at all, um, that, that time. Um, however, once, once you're there, once, um, you know, once you're rooted in who God is and you have enough of his words, just, you know, in you and, you know, moving around through your mind and heart, through meditation and through reading, and um, then suddenly the rest of your life just comes to life. Um, and God is everywhere. Um, he is inescapable and, um, and interruptions become less annoying and angering and more intriguing and curious, you know, curiosity inspiring. Um, and, and sometimes it's the little interruptions. Sometimes it's the very big, um, but I've, I've learned to trust that those um, often carry something from the Lord for me. And usually it's a good thing. Um, yeah. Yeah. Beautiful. And, and thank you actually for putting those two pieces together. I think that's what I was trying to speak to. It's like, I think one without the other is, is, is limited, you know, like just saying I'm going to pay attention without the, the practices of solitude and silence, you're probably not going to do that well. Um, and just, uh, practicing silence and solitude without the discipline of paying attention again, probably not going to do that well. So thank you for that sort of one to March, <laughs> sort of that balanced approach. It's very good. Um, all right. You also write in your book about coming to grips with desire. So you tell mm -hmm. a story about your friend who wanted a husband and your other friend who wanted a baby. You wanted a purpose. And then you got to this moment as it related to praying about those things that someone asked, like, well, what if God doesn't give us what we want? And then then what do we do? So uh, riff on that for a little bit, because I think that's a really important piece of the puzzle of learning to listen to God. Yeah. Um, I mean, that's sort of what we were talking about earlier, as far as like, you come to this point in your Christian life where, um, like, the platitudes and, and even the like arguable defenses and deep truths that, you know, um, 
they just aren't interacting the way that you wish they were with what's actually going on in your life. Um, and this happened for all three of us who are best friends in our 20s. It happened for all three of us, like the moments just collided. And we, um, we all ended up on this trip actually in Death Valley, <laughs> like wow. a literal desert. And we are sitting, I, I remember we're on the salt flats and the salt flats are really beautiful. Um, but there's, there's all these like plates between them and it's like thick, crunchy, coarse salt. So it's actually really uncomfortable to sit on it. It's like rocky and we were all in like yoga pants and they were poking through our pants and we're sitting on this literally prickly earth um, in a like desert um, with no life as far as the eye can see um, with holding this prickly question <laughs> that seemed to be as desolate as where we were sitting you know, we had all prayed for years um, and we had these burning desires that had become the central things in our lives. And, um, and we were trying to encourage each other not to give up hope when it really occurred to all of us around the same time. Like God does not promise, like, you know, my, um, my friend Michelle was like, there's this verse that really bothers me about singleness being a gift. And like, what if God wants to give me the gift of singleness? I don't want it. Um, you know, and, and my other friend who, you know, was walking through miscarriage after miscarriage, um, just could not understand, um, why God would start this life and end it over and over inside of her. Um, and how, how she felt about who he was in that, how she felt about her babies and eternity and life. And, um, and all of a sudden there were, there were just these, and, and she knows so many people who either don't have children at all, or, you know, ended up going the path of adoption. She, there was no guarantee, um, you know, that she was going to have her own baby and, um, and so there, there was this question of what does, what if God doesn't give us what we want, because there's, you know, there's really no promise. And we all know people who haven't gotten what they wanted. Um, and underneath that question was this question of, um, really, what if God just isn't actually good? Yeah. Uh, and you know, there, you know, I just, I, I can go back in a minute, like our, our physical surroundings were just so, um, uh, I don't want to say embodied, but it, it was like a manifestation of the spiritual reality that we were with. And I think, you know, a lot of us wrestle with this question at some point in our life of, um, you know, what if God doesn't give us what we want? And, and what if that means that he isn't good? And, uh, and so there's, there's a lot in that last chapter of the book about this and our, our relationship to our desires. But the biggest promise, um, you know, that we hear God speak uh, over and over and over and over us is fear not because I am with you. And we do not need to fear um, not getting what we want. Um, because God is with us and we don't have to fear God being not good because we don't have to fear him being with us. Um, him being with us is actually what casts out our fear. 
And so we we all sort of wrestled through this relationship with our desires and our assumptions about God. And could we come at the real life that we were really living full of grief and holes and unmet desire with the assumption that God was good? And what would that assumption that God is good stand up to our reality? Um, and I, I, I finish our stories, um, through the rest of that chapter and, uh, you know, we, we all together, um, and I don't know how we would have done each individually on our own, but we all together made that decision to, to approach, um, the desires that we held with the assumption that God was good, whether or not he gave us what we wanted. And, um, and that unfolded for each of us in really different, really beautiful ways. Um, but we all, we all discovered, spoiler alert, um, <laughs> that God is actually incredibly good. Um, and he is good to all of us, no matter what desires or doubts we're holding at any given moment, whatever desert that we're sitting in, um, we can sit in that desert um, knowing that he is good and he is with us. And that is the time that we most need to be listening to what he has to say. Hey friends, we'll get right back to the podcast, but I wanted to let you know if you want to know more about anything that I've done, well, not anything, but my books, my blog, the other podcast episodes, head over to steveweens.com and you can find everything you need. Also, if you want to support me on patreon.com, just go to patreon.com slash thisgoodword. And if you support me for as little as $2 a month, you'll get lots of benefits, fun, fun stuff. Okay, now let's get back to the podcast. Okay, Liz, you um, you do talk about, and and we've we've hit on several of these, right? But I want you to sort of back up for a second and sort of hit on what are the different ways to listen. You write about listening in community, listening through scripture, listening through prayer. Sort of what are the what are the ways that you write about in this book uh, to um, teach people how to listen. And um, what would you say about about those movements? Yes, the book is written in two two parts. The first part is sort of how we listen. Uh, and it's structured loosely around the definition of Shema that we find yeah. in the Old Testament, um, that we notice what and we pay attention to what God is saying, what God is doing, where he's present with us, um, and that we learn to discern, or um, I use the word recognize in the book, um, that we learn to recognize what is God and what isn't God. Uh, and then that the, we actually respond. So it's interesting uh, in the Hebrew definition, in the Hebrew word for for listen, Shema, um, it is assumed that you are not passively listening. Um, there is a response that is assumed that um, that when you know, sort of like when we tell our kids, listen up, um, you know, the act of listening um, sort of assumes that those words don't just hang there, that there is a response by us to them. And then in the second part, I talk about all of the, the different places that we can listen and where we can expect to hear. Uh, because 
if you're if you're only expecting God to talk to you when you're at church or having like a moving experience during a silent retreat or you know at summer camp or you know wherever um, we might typically expect that we're going to have some sort of religious or holy experience you can very easily miss the sacred moments that are all around you you have to be looking for them you have to be expecting them to be there you have to expect to find holiness in God's presence uh, everywhere. And so I talk about how we um, we start in scripture, like these are, these are his words he has already spoken. We root ourselves there, and that's part of learning to recognize who he is. Um, and just the importance of prayer, both privately and communally, uh, just how big it is to uh, to listen in community and to hold God's words for each other in community, uh, especially when we individually might have a hard time holding on to some of those prickly questions. Um, the people around us can actually hold memories and evidence of God's goodness at times when um, when we just can't see it for ourselves. Um, just our, our very everyday, ordinary lives, uh, coincidences, interruptions, beauty, desire, waiting in silence. Yeah. Yeah. It, I, I love all those things, especially beauty. How does, how does, um, paying attention to beauty and allowing yourself to immerse yourself in beauty help you to listen? Yeah, you know, um, I, before, uh, like, I don't know how many years ago is this now, a little over seven years ago, uh, I was really uh, ambitious in my career. And uh, in the interruptions chapter, I talk about a massive interruption that God had on my career path that took the form of motherhood. And one of the gifts of, um, of slowing down uh, to like what felt like a screeching halt uh, has been the gift of noticing so much beauty that I just ran past before. Um, and so, you know, even as our life continues to shift and, and seasons and work hours and all of that are different now in my motherhood than they were before, um, I'm hoping that the um, the ability to just slow down and be captured by beauty is something that I will continue to take with me. Uh, it's something I'm going to fight for, I think, for the rest of my life, uh, because there is, you know, if, if we're not too distracted by the next thing on our list, by the next thing that um, we need to get done, by the thing that we want, by the thing that we don't have, by the thing that we aren't, by the thing that we wish we were. If we can just get out of our heads, get out of our to-do list, get out of our routine, get out of our speed, we will start to notice um, the people, the um, the the flowers, the birds, the skies, the sun, the moon, the laughter, you know, I can't even tell you, I think every day, um, I see something beautiful and at the end of the day, I try my best, um, to, to practice the examine. And one of the things I've tried to do with my kids is to actually, um, practice a, a child's version of the examine with them. 
And so I asked them, um, instead of saying sort of our nightly Dear Jesus prayers, um, I asked them, um, was there anything that happened during the day that made you scared or sad? Um, And was there anything that happened during the day where you saw something that made you so happy or that was so beautiful? And in practicing that with them, because I I don't want them to think of their prayers as a routine. I want them to be in a routine of of praying regularly, but I don't want them to think of them as a recited routine. um in, in practicing this with them regularly and then um, do, you know, sort of showing our gratitude towards God and, and thanking him for being with us through the hard parts of our day and sprinkling in um, the, the kind people and the beautiful things. Um, it's actually become a, a simple rhythm in my own life. And, um, and that beauty is just inescapable. And it really like during times when I feel like the water is, you know, coming up over my nostrils, um, and about to just pull me under, uh, it's really what saves me is to slow down and realize that God has not left our world. He hasn't left my life or our family. Um, and there's just evidence of his care and his just extravagant grace in the form of beauty and art um, just everywhere that breaks through all of the chaos and darkness and um, and ickiness that can crowd our, our days in stress and anxiety. Hmm. Oh, it's so good. So good. Okay, um, Liz, just maybe two more questions. I know we're sort of running out of time, but... But this is a little bit of a tough question, so just go with it um, where you will. But I think maybe we've both, and I'm not trying to, um, maybe I am being judgmental. I'm I'm not trying to be. But we've all met people who sort of, they have really extensive God language. God told me this. I'm doing that. Mm. God, you know. And um, again, probably I'm judging and I'm not trying to, I'm just trying to bring up a, a reality that is in this field of conversation that I think some people use that language in a way that doesn't come across as authentic or rooted deeply. It's more of a, it sounds kind of like a shallow justification for doing whatever it is that they feel like they want to do. So how, how would you sort of gently make a differentiation between being deeply rooted in following the voice of God and, and sort of using that language uh, as a kind of religious prop? Do you, am I making sense? Yeah, no, totally. Um, so it's, it's funny because when I was first meeting with publishers about this book, um, uh, I got asked the same the same question, and and also you know sort of the question of um, so uh, tell us exactly how you think God talks to you. <laughs> right, right. Uh, I mean, is it like, is it actual, like, is it email? Yeah. Is it actual voice? Are you crazy? Yeah. 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 It's sort of like this litmus test mm-hmm. of like, am I the crazy cat lady, you yeah. know, who yeah. like is writing this book and who is one of those, like, God told me yeah. this morning, um, <laughs> kind of people. 
so I actually, I, you know, I, I have, I have a line in the book that I'll probably misquote now, but, um, there are so many people in the world who say crazy things, um, and who say, who say, and say that God told them so. Um, but I truly believe that the only thing more dangerous than people saying that they heard God tell them something ridiculous is a whole church full of God's people that's not listening for him at all. Mm-hmm. Yeah. We we just can't give that up. Um and and yes, there are people who would love divine approval um, just to justify their thoughts and feelings and actions. Um, and, and there are people who, you know, honestly, I, I don't think they're making them up. You know, like I, I think that there are people with poor discernment who do hear voices, um, mm. either their own thoughts, you know, or, or even the influence of evil on their minds and they don't have the discernment to name it. Um, mm. and yeah. they unfortunately mistakenly credit it to be God's voice. Um, but, but those people definitely don't change the fact that we are all living temples with indwelling spirit of God. The meeting place between heaven and earth is in our bodies. Um, and and that God is is speaking and moving and has things to say to us and to our world through us. And so so that discernment process becomes really, really important. Um, you know, and and we need to learn how to discern that in ourselves. And then we as communities just need to come alongside people um, and help one another discern what that looks like and recognize who God is and 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 who he isn't. Um I, I'm hoping that actually this book um is is one of those voices in the community of God's people that can that can help with that discernment process and, and also give people confidence in the words that God is, is speaking to them, what, who he truly is and what he is actually saying so that, um, you know, cause sometimes we really discredit ourselves and discredit, um, what the ways God is moving in our lives because we don't want to be associated with those crazy people, um, instead of really appreciating all of who God is and what he's saying to us. Oh, that's good. Thank you for that. That was helpful. That was helpful. Okay, last question. You titled your book God's Many Voices. Why did you title it that way? Okay. Um, well, here's where I'm going to get a little geeky on you. <laughs> love it. Love it. <laughs> love all things geekery. Um, because um, I, I, I didn't put this part in the book. Do you? Well, you're an author, so do you ever have like sections that you that you wrote out that you really wanted to find a place for? Oh yeah, in book, totally. And there is like no place for them. Yeah, <laughs> absolutely. And then you like try to sneak it in there, but your editor catches you. And yes, like, yes. No, it doesn't go there. And you're like, but where does it go? They're like, not in there. Like, not in the box. <laughs> yeah. Um. Okay, so when there when people hear about God's voice, um, you know, and and we're talking about like the way that we know God speaks because we've seen Him speak that way in Scripture. There's a few things. There's a few stories that come to mind, right? There's Samuel and Eli. There's Paul on the road to Damascus, and one of the most famous ones is Elijah in the cave. And um, this is in First Kings nineteen. 
And, um, and Elijah has just, you know, is actually on the run is hiding for, to save his life. And, um, and he's in this cave and he is beat down, discouraged. And many of us know the story of, of God coming to Elijah and he's not in the earthquake and, and there's a, there's a, there's an earthquake, but God's not in the earthquake. There's a mighty wind and God's not in the wind. There's a, a big fire, but God's not in the fire. And what's left behind is this still small voice or this whisper. And that is, um, that is how God speaks to Elijah and so I hear a lot of people talk about God's whispers, and we're so mm-hmm. in love with this idea of God whispering to us for good reason. I mean, how beautiful is it that God, um, our our great big God, can can whisper and draw us in and speak to us so intimately in a way that that would lead us to lean into Him and to hear to hear Him more closely, to be closer to Him. But there's a few things about this story that um, that we sometimes forget to tell, because uh, because God actually talks to Elijah before He whispers to him. Right, right, right. He says, "What are you doing here?" Um, and Elijah's like, "No, you don't understand. You left me hanging. I'm about to die. I'm, you know, I am." And so, and God says, "Okay, Elijah, I want you to stand in my presence. I'm gonna pass by." And that's when the earthquake, the wind, the fire, and God's not in any of those, but he is in this whisper at the very end, which is exactly what Elijah needed to hear. God met Elijah exactly where he was with exactly how he needed to hear from him, that he was not alone, that he had not been abandoned, that God was close to him in this whisper. But what we lose is that the original readers of this text would have been shocked when the when the writer tells us God's not in the earthquake, God's not in the wind, God's not in the fire. Because God was in the earthquake, he was in the wind, he was in the fire, in the wilderness, um, when God's presence, you know, first came to Israel after the garden. We see him shaking Mount Sinai. We see the, you know, the um, the Israelites are following the fire. This, these are how we're told that God's presence manifests itself in us. And but God's not in those traditionally understood ways that His presence occurs. He comes to Elijah in this new, fresh way, right where he is, and shows him that He is with him and allows His presence to pass by to meet him where he's at. And so I, God has, I believe, many, many voices. Um, he, he can and does speak through earthquakes and wind and fire and whispers. But the, the gift to us is that he invites us to stand and see his presence pass by and that he meets us in really unexpected ways when we allow ourselves to stand in that presence and be looking for him. Boom. Preach. Come on now. Oh, that's good. That was really good. I love that. Um, and I agree with that. I, I think we need all those, all those ways. 
and all those ways probably all in one lifetime, you know? Yeah. Uh, and so I love the, uh, the overriding message is God will speak to you using whatever God needs to. Uh, and that's the point. I love that. I love that so much. Well, Liz, thank you so much. This was so good to talk to you, to get your perspective, your wise and expansive perspective on what it means to make space for God to speak and all the different ways that that can happen. So everybody go out and pre-order Liz's book. It's called God's Many Voices by Liz Diddy. Learning to Listen, Expectant to Hear. And it's coming out in August. So uh, Liz, is there any other ways that people can connect with you, your website, Twitter, Facebook, any of those things? Yeah, um, I'm on www.lizdiddy.com and really easy to find all my social media links there. Okay. All right, I'll put that on the show notes, people, lizdiddy.com. And again, the book's called God's Many Voices, Learning to Listen, expectant to hear. Um, yep. And it's up, it's up on Amazon for pre-order now. Okay. Pre-order that bad boy. That really helps an author. You guys pre-order the book. Yes, it does. Yes, it does. Thanks, Steve. Liz, I appreciate you taking the time and I really can't wait um, for people to get a hold of your book. It's going to be a gift to people. So thank you so much. Thank you. 